Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. I'm going to leave it a little bit longer on the top and then short on the sides. But if you don't like it when I'm done, I can just make it a little shorter on the top. That's great. You know, like you can always cut a little more, but you can't add it back, right? That reminds me of something that Trump was saying the other day. What's wrong? It's it's really important that I don't know any of your political views. Why is that? Because you've been cutting my hair for the last seven years. But if it turned out you and I were on opposite sides of this election, I'm not sure I could continue to come here. Whatever you say, hon. Do you want me to trim your eyebrows? Uh, Yes, please. Speaking of eyebrows, what is up with that Tim Kaine? Did you see the way his eyebrows... His eyebrow is all I'm saying. I like the gray you have coming in, by the way. It is very distinguished. That Mike Pence has nice hair, but if he came in here, I'd tell him, let's try something a little different. You are... Way too old to look like Eminem, am I right? Melinda, have I not made myself clear? I can only talk about this election when I am 100% sure the person I'm speaking to believes exactly as I do. If I hear things that upset me, I'll become short of breath and my blood pressure will rise. Okay, okay, all right. So what is up with Rob Kardashian blocking everybody's numbers? I know, he made his mother cry. I've never seen Chris so upset. Why can't he just move in with China? The baby's coming, and it's its like his own personal issues are bigger for him. I want to punch him in the face. I saw Chloe on Access Hollywood, and she... Too close. Too close to the election topic. Roger that. And backing away. So, how about them Red Sox? Mm, pick something else. Maybe we should just listen to the show with supporters of my favorite candidate... And now, the person who thought this was a great idea. You can't hear what she's saying either time. Um, all right, so uh, that actually that introduction is kind of based on a real-life story that I heard uh, about a woman who had been getting a haircut from the same person for many, many years and found out that that person who had been cutting the hair and styling the hair was a Donald Trump supporter. This woman is not a Donald Trump supporter, and she was she – was, Asking the world, she was actually on Facebook asking the world, can I continue to get my hair cut by this person, which struck me as kind of a bizarre question. But anyway, uh, but I see this all the time. And one of the reasons you, when you've, people have been asking me, why are we doing the show? We're doing a show with four not turning back um, Donald Trump supporters. Uh, and uh, so there's a lot of people on Facebook who know that I am not a Donald Trump supporter uh, and who listen to this show to hear a certain kind of content and say, well, what are you, why are you doing this? You know, I mean, I have a lot of answers to that question, but I'll give you the easiest one. Um, the easiest one is that let's say the election goes pretty much the way I think it's going to go. Uh, and so Donald Trump gets maybe, I don't know, 40 percent of the vote. Um, and let's say turnout's a little low because people are despondent and turned off by the whole process. So that's 48 million people. That might be a low number. You know, 48 million people might be the, the low number of Americans who will vote for Donald Trump on November 8th. That's a lot of people. 
<laughs> and we all live in this country together, right? We've all got to more or less get along if we possibly can. Uh, and we and not knowing anything about each other isn't very helpful. Not listening to each other is not very helpful. And as somebody said to me the other day, listening is not the same thing as agreeing. So one of the things I wanted to bring, do is bring some people in who are going to vote for Donald Trump and let them talk about why. Now, some of you are going to complain afterwards that I didn't, I don't know, interrupt enough or, or uh, correct them enough. Um, I, you know, this happened when we did the Right Wing Talk radio show. I'll just say uh, once again, this is sort of to let people talk. If there's something I think that's really – we really need to kind of pin down a fact or something like that, uh, I will do that. I will exercise that option. But by and large, I kind of want to hear what people actually have to say. The one thing I've asked all of them not to do – I'm about to introduce them any second now. The one thing I've asked all of them not to do is to make this about how much they hate Hillary Clinton. I get that they hate Hillary Clinton. But what we really want to hear is more the positive things they have to say about Donald Trump, the reason that he, more than anybody else, is the person right now that they, they want to have be president. So um, those are my ground rules. <laughs> There's only one of them, really. Um, and uh, yeah, so let me just uh, tell you who's here. Uh, first of all, I'm going to uh, introduce the guy who is preferring that his real name not be used. He wants to be known as Manny Ortiz. This has something to do, obviously, with his uh, love of the Red Sox, but he doesn't want to be called you know, Xander Betts or uh, Mookie Bogarts or anything like that. He wants to be called Manny Ortiz. So that's fine. He's a 26-year-old Trump supporter uh, and he'd like to remain anonymous and he works in financial services in Hartford. Sitting next to him is uh, Sandra Spearman Turney, a uh, former portrait and commercial artist, sort of the person who got this all started. Uh, she either called or emailed one day and said she just was sick of the one-sidedness of this show. Uh, and Steve Hunt uh, is uh, next to her, health insurance agent and vice chair of Avon Republican Town Committee. Um, and then next to him is John Morris, remember, a member of the Republican State Central Committee, representing the 30th District and town chair of the Goshen Republican Town Committee. So where to begin? I think I'm, I'm going to begin just by getting you to sort of say a little bit uh, in a nutshell about uh, why it is you're here today, what it is that you think uh, is um, – so hopeful or important about Donald Trump's candidacy. So I don't know. We'll just I'm, Manny, Xander, sure. we'll sure. start with you. So you'd like to me to know why I will vote for him or why I'm here today? Kind of maybe a little bit different answers. All right. So tell tell yeah. me why they're different. That's interesting. All right. So why I will vote for him is simply if let's say someone offered you twenty five hundred dollars a year going forward to vote for that person. Hmm. That's what Donald Trump represents for me in terms of tax cuts. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's my probably my main number one reason the change in the tax brackets will end up having twenty five hundred dollars more in my pocket each year. Um, and there's that's probably one of the more important reasons for me. Mm-hmm. But the main reason I'm here today is to show folks that we can have a civil conversation and agree to disagree and without having to yell at each other. And I think it's more constructive than you know, everyone entering their safe spaces and shutting out opposite opinions. It's, it's much more constructive to have an open conversation. All right. Poor John is going to have to go last. And by the time he gets there, you guys will have used up all of the really good tropes. But so, um, Sandy, you're here. You're here partly, as, as I said, because you were dissatisfied with how I was talking about Donald Trump. How, how is it that you want to talk about Donald Trump? I want to talk about him as, in a way, um, what he's known for. You're fired. I am ready for term limits, and it doesn't seem like we're ever going to get them. So this is the best way to bring that about, to clear Washington of the dead wood and the 
fossils that are there that are not wanting to work. They just go there and mess around. So I want to see people go up there that are in the communities where they represent opinions and attitudes and lifestyle and go to Washington and create a government that works for all of us. And my main concern is the Supreme Court. I want a balanced Supreme Court that will be what everybody can live with and understand because it fits with our Constitution and the other laws that are passed by our representatives, not made by the Supreme Court themselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's pretty much it. Do you wish there were term, term limits on the Supreme Court too? Maybe you in, never get those people out. I was going to say maybe an age limit. <laughs> no, really, because some people can stay there forever and be okay, and other people never should have been there to begin with. This is you know part of it. So th- there ought to be some kind of control possibly on on people and that just go off the deep end or something. I don't know about that. But the Supreme Court has enough people on it if they're all there to mm-hmm. you know create a balance if it's done by different um, presidents from year to year. So mm-hmm. so it it really has been used and abused over the last few years to turn them into lawmakers, which they never were supposed to do. It's my main problem with uh, who's there and what they're pushing on people that they weren't ever created to be there for that reason. All right. A less activist Supreme Court. Uh, all right, Steve, you're up next. Um, big thing that I want to point out is America has sort of lost its way we were originally a manufacturing powerhouse. We were people that built the world. We won World War II largely because we could outproduce the Axis powers. We don't make things anymore. Our economy is built more around paper, inflated wealth, created, you know, currency manipulations and bets based upon derivative models, which are based upon bundles of. Donald Trump is talking about something that I think people should have been talking about for a while, which is bringing manufacturing back, restoring trade balance. We talk about improving the inner cities. You're never going to improve the inner cities unless you come up with a way to employ low-educated, blue-collar workers in such a way as that they can get ahead. If it's only going to be working at a low-paying retail job or something like that, we're never going to switch those communities around. Donald Trump has made it a point to go into the inner cities and talk about turning them around. So I think what we need to do in this country is get back to where we started. And I think Donald Trump's the man to do it. How do you think he's going to do it? In other words, how, how it's obviously manufacturing left the country for a lot of different reasons, just including the uh, incredibly cheap labor markets overseas, uh, raw materials, low production costs. I mean, how, how do you think he can change all that? It seems like that's kind of an inflexible trend. Well, you certainly uh, brought up a lot of good points. Yes, the world is in a state of imbalance. And because America and the West in general, and by the West I mean Western Europe, Canada, um, what we we would commonly refer to as the first world, certainly the standard of living is so much higher here that the cost of labor also is so much higher. But we also have considerable advantages that other countries don't have. We have the U.S. dollar first and foremost. We have the most stable currency. We are the world's reserve currency. We have stable energy production now. For the first time in my lifetime, we don't have to be dependent upon foreign oil. But yet we've got two contrasting opinions on that. One opinion is 
we want to produce as much oil as we can. We want to produce as much energy as we can. We want to make ourselves self-sufficient. And the other opinion is, oh, no, 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 let's hold that stuff down and so forth and so on. We also need to straighten out various things that, that aren't – Donald Trump, for example, pointed out that uh, many countries employ what they call a VAT or a value-added tax, which is a nice way of saying national sales tax. What happens is when our goods are sold in their country, you have to inflate the cost by 10, sometimes 20, 25 percent. When their goods are sold in our country, it works the opposite because we base everything rather around income. So changing some of these rules just to create a level playing field may not completely solve the problem, but it will certainly help with the problem. And most importantly, most importantly, you need a competitive corporate rate. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Nobody is going to realize their earnings at 30 or 40 percent when you could realize your earnings in Ireland at 12.5 percent and put the money in your pocket. So what we have to do is realize that we have to compete for capital. Capital can go wherever it wants, especially if capital is largely based around electronic numbers. All right. So, uh, John, I'm sure you still got a few ideas left that haven't been. Boy, yes, still I, I certainly have a few ideas. The the reasons I'm I'm with Trump: uh, jobs, the economy, and national security. Um, I haven't exactly figured out uh, what uh, the Trump tax plan will do for me, but I do know that when you lower taxes, particularly when he wants to lower the uh, the corporate tax, which is the highest tax, or I think we have the highest corporate tax rate in the world will certainly bring and give incentive for companies to come into the United States, come back to the United States, and uh, have those um, – we see, I think, a pretty good increase in those revenues, which will allow them to create additional jobs. Um, when you've when – in the past, when we have had lower taxes, our economy has improved. Uh, during the 1980s, when Reagan took the, the, the bracket from 70 to 28 – Revenues to the federal government doubled. Now, if you, the, the problem was they, they spent all of that plus. But um, in fact, it did increase uh, revenues and really helped our, our economy and gave us one of the longest uh, stretches of growth in a peacetime uh, economy. The other reason is national security. Um, quite frankly, I'm very concerned about um, open borders, I think. And I would, I would imagine most people would agree that the United States needs to have secure borders. We need to know who's coming in, why they're coming in, um, and we currently we, we don't have that. And that, to me, is very troubling, particularly with the terrorist attacks we've had in Santa, um, out in California, uh, Orlando, uh, the ones we've just had in Minnesota, uh, New Jersey, and New York. Um, in many cases, we just don't know who's coming in, and it only takes a few bad apples to really cause uh, some real, real problems. In addition to that, um, we need to rebuild our, our uh, defenses. Um, we have not been paying, I think, the attention we need to uh, regarding uh, our national defense, and uh, we need to modernize, and we need to make that an emphasis. So those are, are the reasons uh, I'm with Trump. And I just want to add, um, I don't hate anybody, and I don't hate Hillary Clinton, but I do disagree with the direction uh, that she wants to move the country, which is pretty much opposite where, where Trump goes. And that's really where I have my, my disagreement. And, and like anything else, uh, uh, we can have a civil discussion on that. And uh, then uh, everybody makes a decision on uh, November uh, 8th.
Yeah, and by the way, I mean, if, some, if we want to have a conversation here about, say, the two candidates' respective health care policies or something, that's fine with me. You know, I mean, I'm not saying we can't talk about Hillary Clinton ever. I'm just not interested in hearing what a horrible person she is. Or it just seems like it would be more interesting to hear from you guys anyway what, what you see in, in Donald Trump. But to that end, okay, so I'm going to make it a tiny bit less comfortable. No, actually, I'll tell you what I want to do next. So none of you fit the media's profile of a Trump supporter, right? Generally what we hear about Trump supporters is that they are people who have been economically left behind, that the economy recovered but they didn't. Uh, They feel as though – uh, the economy isn't working for them, that, there's, that in some ways the system is rigged uh, to their disadvantage. Uh, they're often described as, as non-college educated, angry white voters. Um, and I don't know. That's sort of not the vibe. Uh, yeah, go ahead, Sandy. Sandy, go ahead. Yeah. I have three children mm-hmm. that fit that category. Okay. <laughs> And so tell me a little bit more about that. Like, in other words, if you're upset on their behalf and feel as though Donald Trump uh, can do something about that, t- tell me more about that. Well, uh, I have two sons that are uh, 49 and 50 and a daughter that's 41. And they went to college for a time, but they didn't finish, didn't graduate. Mm-hmm. And so they're in that place that's uh, that little ticket to get in they've missed. But they're all trained in good, you know, places that they can be useful and they're relatively smart, but the chances of getting a job and keeping it these days, having any benefits or any security, is just not available anymore. And the jobs that are being created, I have friends up here in Connecticut that are were CEOs of, of big companies and doing quite well, and they were replaced a few years ago by two they hired two places in their place, college graduates that were they were paying nothing, no benefits, nothing. And these guys could not find anything other than a job at Home Depot and then do a little consulting. I think that's ridiculous for people's experience and abilities to be wasted at the prime of life by not having jobs available for them. So, I mean, job creation is such a complicated thing, right? We we went through a period of negative job growth uh, towards the end of the Bush administration. Jobs have grown by about, I think, 10 million under Obama. But as you say, um, there's a lot of those are are not in the they're not real replacements for the kinds of jobs that were lost towards uh, the the end of the Bush administration. So, when, is there a thing that Donald Trump is saying that makes you think, okay, so he could not just get jobs? But he could actually get jobs that would be worth having. All right, somebody else can answer. Yeah, go ahead, Steve. Yeah. Well, speaking for myself, um, as a health insurance agent, I can give you a new definition of having the economy work against you and the government work against you. It doesn't matter how hard I work if they just don't pay you for the case because basically as an independent contractor, I don't have any rights. They can change anything they want. What kept things in check and what kept the carriers themselves in check was a free market. The free market has been largely destroyed by the government's over, you know, overreach and, and intervention. When you talk about creating 10 million jobs, yes, we have created some jobs. But remember this. If you have a 40-hour workweek job and you replace it with three 10-hour workweek jobs, it shows as a net gain of two jobs, even though it's a loss of 10 hours of productivity. So if you look at the productivity numbers in America, they're abysmal. If you look at the participation rate in America, they're abysmal. Yes, the unemployment rate has dropped substantially. 
But if you were to add back in people that aren't being counted now, for example, we've doubled the number of people on Social Security disability. Okay, fine and good that maybe some of those people should have been added and maybe some of those people shouldn't have, but they're added. They're removed from the workforce. And now, of course, nobody talks about the solvency of the trust fund, which now has to deal with twice as many people but never really gets financed. So when I look at the way the government has treated me and my clients, and people don't realize the numbers. If, if, if you were a person, this is my favorite example. Prior to Obamacare, the most popular plan out there, and I'm going to take a couple at age 60 because that's a pretty common situation for the baby boomers, right? A 60-year-old male, 60-year-old female. The most popular plan out there, the one that I did the most of, was about $800 a month. That plan got taken away. The replacement plan was well over $1,400 a month, for which they'll back it off to $500 a month, but only if you can keep your income below a certain point. The cutoff at the time was $62,000. So put this into a situation of rent. You're two couples living across the street from each other. One's making $60,000 a year. One's making $65,000 a year. You're both paying $800 a month in rent. The government comes along and goes, now your rent is $1,500 a month, but we're going to let the couple making $62,000 pay five, and the guy making $65,000 pay fifteen. Now the person making $65,000 is actually better off to cut their pay, close their business, but more often than not what they really do is work off the books in order to be able to possibly make the payment that they could have made in the first place. So uh, let's just say that with that for a second because um – you know, I mean, I think a lot of people feel, as I think you do, that Obamacare isn't working the way it's supposed to work. Um, now, um, and as I look at the two candidates, and I know that you're going to hate this idea, uh, but one of the things that Clinton has started to talk about is the public option, which is not single payer, but just a public option, um, which to me, I, I, it probably is going to screw up your business. To, to me, the problem is, yeah, the premiums are too high. And the premiums are way too high on exactly the kind of person that you just described. And yeah, to become eligible for a government subsidy, well, you got to do something to become eligible. You know, they're not going to just subsidize everybody. So uh, as you say, they, they base it on income. But it seems to me that we haven't done two things. We haven't controlled costs uh, and, and we haven't um, – and we sort of allowed the big insurance companies to dictate the terms of what Obamacare was going to be. You know, they, said, they said, well, yeah, in order to do that, we're going to have to have a mandate uh, in order to even do stuff about preexisting conditions or keeping people uh, on their family policies till they're 26. You've got to do something for us. You've got to get everybody into the pool. And so that's the way the rules were written and now they're kind of saying they can't do it. Um, uh, or without jacking up premiums or pulling out of exchanges. So I'm thinking public option sounds really great. Whereas I don't I haven't really heard from Trump what it is that he's going to do besides that, you know, selling across state lines, which seems like a, a Band-Aid on a sucking chest wound to me. Well, the, the problem with uh, with that scenario, you hit the nail on the head. We have not been able to control our costs. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter whether it's a public option, a private option. If you cannot find a way of controlling your costs, you, you're in the same boat. Uh, the Canadian system, uh, you know, they cut costs. That you, you don't get the care until they have more money in it. What we need to do is introduce competition. And we need to have a constituency per se that is much more cost conscious. When, you know, someone else is paying the bill, you don't really care so much. When you're paying the bill, you do care. And I can give you some, some personal examples uh, uh, on prescriptions. Um, I was given a prescription that was – I found out uh, the doctor had no idea and, and that's the other thing. Doctors really don't know 
how much this stuff mm-hmm. costs until you can go back to them. But uh, it was, uh, I don't know, $700 a month, something like that. And I said, well, I'm not doing this. So I, you know, I called the office. He said, well, you got to call your insurance company. So I did, and, and I sat down with somebody. And we brought that cost down about 140 mm-hmm. uh, because I took the time to actually find something cheaper. My wife, she was given a prescription. I think it was, uh, I don't know, it was like $200. Mm-hmm. So she goes to the pharmacy. They want 200 bucks. She says, not happening. She calls her doctor's office. She says, is there anything else that might be less expensive? Well, wait a minute. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think we have something. Mm-hmm. It was like five bucks. Be- See, you can also sometimes get a better deal going pharmacy to pharmacy under the same insurance plan. Walgreens will give you a different price than CVS. Absolutely. But I, I just I – I'm not picturing Donald Trump as somebody who could have a detail-oriented conversation like the one that you're having with me right now. That's uh, sort of he, my question. He may not. But what, he, what he's looking to do is bring back competition and that's what we have to do. I think we have to introduce as much competition into the healthcare uh, field as we can as a way of helping to control costs. Um, and the, the he, he's talks about is is having more competition among companies. What we're seeing now is the number of companies offering health insurance uh, declining. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we need to do is have an increase, and I think allowing companies to compete nationally for customers across uh, state lines uh, could could be a way of of doing it. But we certainly, I mean, Connecticut was on the verge of actually having their uh, exchange collapse. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I think it was a technicality that kept Connecticut in the game for at least this year. Um, but if you get down to one company in the exchange, it's not really an exchange, and I would imagine the other company would leave. So to, we, to say nothing of the fact that we're getting down to one or two companies anyway with the mergers. Right. Anyway, we got to we got to take a break on the on what we're going to do. We got a call from John. I want to take a break here just because we're going to run out of time. Otherwise, we're going to come back. Got to hear a little bit more from uh, Manny. Uh, I want to get all the panelists involved here. So let's do that. All right, we're back. Uh, we're talking to uh, four people who are uh, in it for Trump all the way to November 8th, they say. Uh, with us in studio, uh, Manny, who's 26 years old, uh, not able to use his real name about this. We'll talk about that in just a second. Uh, also, Steve Hunt, health, health insurance agent and a chair, vice chair of the Avon Republican Town Committee. Uh, Sandra Spearman Turney, a former portrait and commercial artist. And John Morris, a member of the Republican State Central Committee, representing the 30th District and the town chair of the Goshen Republican Town Committee. So, Manny, I want to talk about this. Uh, I want to talk to all of you about this, but um, you're you're not comfortable using your name. Is that because there's here in Connecticut, it's a blue state, there's a stigma uh, if people know you're a Trump supporter? I say absolutely, especially when you're getting to know people for the first time. Let's say the first thing they know about me is that I'm supporting Donald Trump or even the Republican Party is they assume I'm either really dumb or a racist or both at the same time, and I'd rather... Let people get to know me first before making that assumption for sure. Um, and, and I don't know. Can you say a little bit more about that? So what happens when you do get to know them? I mean, is it still something where you'd be kind of uncomfortable? <laughs> or? Kind of like a funny story. So let's say uh, meeting someone for the first time. I won't. Obviously, we're not going to talk politics. We're not supposed to talk about those things on a first encounter, right? Um, but after getting to know someone, maybe a few times hanging out, um, they say, hey, you want to become Facebook friends? I have to say, well, I have to tell you a secret. <laughs> like, what? what is it? What is it? Is it a big deal? And I, I say, um, I'm a Republican. I'm voting for Donald Trump. And they're like, 
oh my god, I can't believe it. But at that time, they know who I am. They know I'm not a bad person, so they kind of like get over it. And then as time goes on, obviously, obviously, as you get more comfortable speaking with someone, you're able to talk about more serious subject matter, and you can have a nice discussion. And it usually remains pretty civil. Sometimes it gets heated, obviously, as politics can. Um, uh, Sandy, how does that work for you? Um, are you comfortable telling people about your, well, you must be, you're on here, you're on the radio, <laughs> using your name. Well, unfortunately or unfortunately, I am only a, a year away from being 80, so that gives me a place in life that, um, you know, I get excused for a lot of things. I'm in my second childhood. <laughs> but the thing is, I make my friends where I want to make friends and do business where I want to do business because I'm not, you know, in the job market or uh, tied to – I don't even have family up here. So I choose, uh, in my case, Christian friends that agree with me, and all of my friends on Facebook are wonderful. I only have two classmates from the class of 60 that uh, – I was going to say uh, 600 people that are, uh, you know, dyed-in-the-wool Hillary supporters, and so we, we send little – Little messages from Franklin Graham to him, hoping to win them over. <laughs> so, well, can you, can you, you get along with those folks pretty well, though? I mean, does he get well, angry? The, or? The, only, I, the, the, the issue, one of the issues of part of the Supreme Court in particular, is that this thing with abortion. Abortion has been a problem since probably the beginning of time, because first century Christians were even dealing with it. I think with the people they were slaves to, or maybe, but the the people that are in this today for a money-making thing, it seems like, and this newest uh, twist on letting a child come into the birth canal and then be killed before it takes its first breath, I can't imagine anybody going along with that. And that's what seems to be the latest, greatest phase of abortion. And frankly, I just, I I can't, that's abhorrent to me. I can't imagine. Could you go with safe, legal, and rare? The, that, the, that's why the Supreme Court it does play a part in it. There are times sometimes I think when a 12-year-old or a 10-year-old or now even an 8-year-old can be raped because of our hormones in our food, our children are developing that early. For an, What they used to do is a DNC before they didn't do a, a test first. They just went ahead and did a DNC when somebody had been raped. And that way nobody knew if she was pregnant or not. And I honestly believe for underage children in some cases like that, that's perfectly legitimate. All right. I don't want to get bogged down in the abortion debate. No, that's like a I'm separate just, show. I'm just yeah. saying that that's yeah. a, that is, there, there is a difference in, in the Supreme Court mm-hmm. usually is the entity that mm-hmm. makes the difference of what's allowable and what's not. So, uh, Steve Hunt, I did have a whole bunch of people on Facebook saying, ah, I just can't even listen to these people. I can't not listen to them. Um, do you run into that a lot? I mean, people who just sort of can't deal with the fact that you're a Trump supporter? Uh, you run into it sometimes. Um, we had this funny little thing in America called the First Amendment, and the First Amendment basically gives you the right to have an opinion. You may not agree with my opinion. I may not agree with their opinion. But y- you have opinions. When we're afraid to stand up for the person that we want, when whether it's the media or society in general makes a person not be you know, willing to express their support for their candidate – We've lost what it is that all of us fought and died for. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be disagreements. It doesn't have to be angry. I don't hate people that want to vote for Hillary Clinton. That's their right to vote for them. I understand where they're at. 
I feel a little sorry for some of the Bernie Sanders people who kind of got, let's just say, pushed aside in the deal. But did you, you like, know. did you like Bernie? A lot of Trump supporters. I, I talked to Trump supporters at Trump rallies who said their second favorite candidate in this race, including all of the Republican possibilities, all sixteen of them, was still after Trump. It was Bernie. Well, it wasn't my second favorite, but my on Bernie Sanders, I would say this: I would not have voted for Bernie Sanders, but I would have voted against him for political reasons. He believes in socialism. I don't. That's okay. That's his way of looking at it. What I liked about Bernie Sanders is that for 40 years, he never made any apologies about the fact that he was a socialist. He was a nice guy. His people deserve the right to have their candidate up, just like the Republicans deserve the right to have theirs. May have been the right choice, may have been the wrong choice, but at least it was a choice. Personally, I originally was going to go for Rubio, but Rubio didn't win. So I went with the candidate that was nominated because the collective will of all of the people within our party is greater than anything that I can ever come up with myself. Um, John, how about you? I think you're going to say the same kind of thing, right? Well, not, no, not, not really. Okay. Not, not really. First of all, I, I was for Rubio. Rubio was my first choice, too. Um, but, you know, the Connecticut Republican primary had, an, had a, a tremendous turnout and 58 percent of the Republicans who voted wanted Donald Trump. Uh, so he's our guy. And uh, I base my decisions on policy. And I think one of the disappointments in a lot of campaigns is that we get on personalities and we don't really get on where do they want to take us. And that's one of the reasons why I am with Trump, because I believe his ideas are better than than Hillary's. Now, as far as uh, opposition and things like that, the the amazing thing, um, I ran a booth, a Republican booth at the Goshen Fair for three days. And... It was all Trump all three days. Um, they, they cleaned us out of everything. <laughs> um, every age group, every income group. I mean it was just uh, – the enthusiasm was, was absolutely hard, hard to, uh, to believe actually. I've never seen any candidate any time have that type of enthusiasm. And we even had teenagers coming up. We had these Trump signs and they were walking up and down the, uh, the midway. Uh, with these signs, very, very proud to be with Trump, which also kind of surprised me. And this is what I'm hearing at other fairs. In the Brooklyn fair that was before ours, 700 Trump signs uh, flew out the out the tent, so to speak. Um, let, so, me, let me ask you this, though. I mean, uh, pretend I'm Paul Ryan for a second. As you know, over the last few days, Paul Ryan has said he's not going to defend Trump anymore. He's only he's going to work on uh, House and Senate races uh, and he's not going to defend Trump anymore. Obviously, he's not alone. You know, a lot of other high-ranking office holders and well-respected Republicans like John McCain said they're out, they're done, that's it. So if I were uh, Paul Ryan, what would you say to me right now? I would basically say, one, I'm disappointed. Uh, two, when you take a look at issues, uh, Paul Ryan and Donald Trump have much more uh, where they agree than they don't agree. I mean, they both want to lower taxes. They both want to secure the border. They both want a strong national defense. Um, all of those things they agree on. So I'm somewhat dis- disappointed uh, that, uh, you know, he would do what, you know, he's doing what he's doing because this election, there are two stark directions uh, that uh, the candidates want to take us. I believe that the direction Donald Trump with lower taxes, secure border, strong national defense and those types of things and and on the Supreme Court, he wants to appoint people like uh, Justice Scalia, uh, which I think would be very, very good. Uh, Hillary Clinton wants to go the other way. 
Um, the personalities, you know, we're not going to get into that today, but I think he's making decisions on personality and not really on, on policy. So Sandy's dying to talk to Paul Ryan. All right, I'm, I'm Paul Ryan. Talk to me. Well, to me, where we are for years, and I've been around a long time, the Republican and the Democratic Party, I can't tell one difference in where we have people jumping ship and changing right now. Obviously, there is no difference because people are it's it's a matter of a a club in Washington that has got their own thing going and they don't want anybody else there to bother them and i think it's it's the wonderful thing about having trump and the division it's causing and this ridiculous thing that's come up from a creation of billy bush created this uh illusion of this man being so horrible by enticing him into a situation he encouraged him he in- insisted that they he hug the woman there uh, i yeah, mean but, he's but, he's but, been talking about running for, uh, for but before the, the hugging he did say all those things right that he before did say the all those yeah, things. nobody made him do that but all those things didn't hurt anybody i i know personally about what happened to paula jones she was a pure wonderful girl that came from a, a preacher's home and my best friend's son dated her in high school. And I know for a fact she very in, intimidated by her other people that she worked with had to go to that hotel room. She should have been going to his office in the Capitol. Why does a governor have a hotel room to call young women to? Well, anyway, if you're talking I'm about saying, you're, I'm you're saying kind of getting off is, the, the Paul Ryan well, the, what, Okay. What, yeah, yeah. We're talking about morality. Yeah. People choose the Republican Party because we claim to be Christians. How can you possibly go along with people that say it's okay for somebody to rape women and intimidate young women into doing things they don't want to do, even in the Oval Office? As an employee and employer, that's against the law. And here the, we had somebody that was a Republican not doing that, but it was a Democrat. Right. Just, and just this is a little, little point of fact, no real proof ever that Bill Clinton never raped anybody. Uh, well, the thing is, taking advantage of an employee is okay. against the law. You'll have to admit that. Right, and Monica, you, you, Monica was a person. Yeah, oh, yeah. So no, I totally, totally agree with you about so, that. But, but you the, did other, use but the, the word main rape. thing is words are mm. one thing, mm. but actions are another. Those girls were damaged, and they, she did get $850,000 settlement mm. out of the deal. So don't say right, he got off scot-free. We're getting bogged down here. I, okay. I wanted you guys to talk to Paul Ryan. But I'm uh, just saying it's a setup. The whole thing that's yeah. caused all this commotion and the media has jumped all over for the last, whatever it is, three days a week or whatever, is over something that was absolutely an ambush and is being used for political reasons and it's being allowed okay. by the media. Um, so, uh, Manny, one thing that she was saying early on, which I thought was interesting, was that one of the reasons, if I'm interpreting you correctly, that you like Donald Trump is because he's not part of any establishment. So when the Republican establishment turns its back on Donald Trump, you know, that's almost, almost a positive. Almost, almost a positive? Yeah. You go almost. Ahead. Pick that uh, up. I do think that kind of going back to an earlier point, what I feel is related is that that there is some, some crossover appeal between, I think you mentioned the Trump folks and the Bernie Sanders folks. Mm-hmm. Now, Bernie Sanders wasn't my uh, second choice either. Um, coincidentally, my first choice was Marco Rubio as well. I think that's kind of interesting how you picked all of us. But, like yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but I, when you say something like that, that reminds me of the situation that my father's in. Um, and he doesn't mind me talking about this. Um, my father, Union Democrat, doing a Democrat his whole life. And kind of, and he 
today he fits the bill of the type of person that you check off every single tick mark you want, older, white, male, uneducated, the typical Trump supporter. And his who he voted for in the primary was Bernie Sanders. Mm-hmm. So, and I, so growing up that way in a blue-collar household, I definitely do understand some of the frustrations going on with, you can say, middle America, um, middle-class America. They're, they feel like there's finally a candidate who's actually speaking to their issues rather than um, some issues that maybe the day-to-day just don't, don't affect them. So I totally sympathize with that point of view for sure. Um, yeah, go ahead. You've been, you've been tapping those hands together, Steve. I can tell you got something to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, did you ever wonder why, regardless of who wins, things don't ever really seem to change? They all sort of stay kind of along where it is. They might lurch one way or lurch another way, but they don't really alter. My friend Bill Curry says there's two parties in uh, in America, incumbents and challengers. Okay, that's one way to say it. Um, but it's even more than that because you've got the government itself, which is for all intents and purposes become an aristocracy. They're not subject to the laws of everyone else. They can't be fired. They can't be just at this point prosecuted in half the time. They get taken care of for the rest of their life. All they got to do is basically toe the line and move along. And this spans both parties because the first thing that both parties decide to do is make damn good and sure they're taken care of. Earlier you mentioned a public option. And if you don't mind, I'd like to use that as part of my example. Sure. The so-called Medicare for all. Mm. All right, I'll go with it. I will. I'll go with your, your Medicare for all theory. But I have two conditions. First condition is all means all. So I expect that you'll be stripping all federal, state, county, and municipal retiree contracts, including current retirees, all members of government, their staff, their family, the president on downward, everybody, and replacing it with Medicare in its current form, which you qualify for at 65 or after two years of disability on Social Security. I don't care about union deals. I don't want to hear about a deal as a deal or nothing because none of that held true when I liked my plan and couldn't keep it. So if we're willing to move everybody initially that way, and then secondly, make Medicare fiscally solvent following the exact same rules that you force all of the insurance companies to follow, that is, no more unfunded liabilities at all. You have to physically reserve the money to pay for it. You would suddenly see that your public option becomes a shell of what it is. You could never do it. It's so far in the holes for all intents and purposes a Ponzi scheme now. No, the government takes care of the government first and foremost. And the people in government, whether that's the leadership in the House, the leadership in the Senate, the president, any of the the so-called important people, and I'm using that term in kind of a quotation, the first and foremost thing they do is make sure that they and their families and all of the people around them are taken care of. All right. I just, we're going we're to run out of time here if we get too bogged down in this. I take your point. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. I keep saying I'm going to put a call on the air. I haven't gotten there yet, but I promise I will try. He doesn't do any of that political doublespeak. He means what he says and he says what it means. Oh, Donald Trump. Is there anything we can all agree on? Extreme vetting for clowns? I mean, most of them are nice, but some hate our way of life. Today's show was produced by Betsy Kaplan and me, Kyone Wolf. Greg Hill appeared in the intro, and all of our past shows are saved at wnpr.org slash Colin. 
Every new show goes up on the Colin McEnroe Show page on Facebook. On tomorrow's show, the weirdest places in the world. And now, back to Colin. All right. So we're uh, talking to people who are Trump voters today. Uh, I've uh, promised to kind of just let them talk and not uh, interrupt them too much. I hope I've uh, held reasonably well to that promise. Um, we've got a call from John in Hartford. John, uh, go, on, go ahead. I think you have a question for the panel. I, I do, Colin. Thanks. Um, so my candidate is no longer in the running. But when he was, I gave a lot of thought to what are the traits that I value in candidates, both for our highest office, also for local public office. And the qualities that mean the most to me are compassion, intelligence, and courage. And I think if you have an ample supply of those, everything else can really fall into place. I'd like to know what your panelists think. Do they think Donald Trump exhibits these characteristics? And can they give some examples of, of how he's shown that in the past? This so I'm sort of glad we're. I mean, this is going. To, we're kind of like going down the home stretch of the show, which has gone very fast. But um, so yeah, that whole question of character. I don't know. Manny, talk about that. Question of character for the Donald. Yeah, compassion, courage, the the qualities, or or maybe there are other qualities that you would rather see a president have. I, I do feel that he is. Sorry, I do feel that his business background is exemplifies his intelligence, what he's been able to build. Mm-hmm. And his ability to sometimes humble himself and realize that I don't know the answer to everything and delegate things to other folks. I think that that's mm-hmm. a pretty humble trait, which I tend, I really like. Um, and he's certainly passionate about his business and his love for the country. Um, do are I, are you bothered do? by the – so some of the things that bother people are he doesn't seem to have a lot of compassion for certain groups. He, he he's well, still say denigrating uh, things about I, them. Does that yeah. – Yeah, I could say yeah. something to that. Sure. And, and that is uh, Donald Trump – which a lot of people don't know, is a very generous man. He has given millions of dollars to a variety of uh, charities and organizations. And uh, I believe it was the president, I don't know if it was Liberty University, uh, went on and, and talked about uh, the people that he helped. you got, um, you got to do some, read some of the reporting of David Farenthold on this. I mean, he really hasn't given any money to anybody, but go ahead. Well, that's <laughs> not, not according to the, the president of Liberty uh, university. Did it come from the Trump Foundation? No, it came from Trump. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, I, and, you know, they had the same rap on, on Mitt Romney. Mitt Romney gave millions of dollars away. He never talked about it. Mm-hmm. Um, he never brought it up in the campaign. He should have uh, a little bit more because I think it would have humanized him a little mm-hmm. bit more. Um, Donald Trump didn't get to where he is if, if he, you know, he, he didn't have the intelligence. He didn't have the business skills. Um, and let's face it, um, when you're in business and you're taking, you know, you're taking the chances, um, that does take some guts. Uh, and, that, and, and not everyone can, can do that. So, uh, you know, I, w- I would say that um, he, he does exhibit those things uh, to, to a large degree. But one of the other things that's going on in this country, and uh, I've talked to people who said um, Donald, what Donald Trump says, I'm thinking – I would never say it, mm-hmm. but he has the guts to say what I'm thinking, and they, they like that about him. Sixty-five to 70 percent of the American people are saying they want the country to go in a different direction, and um, they're not happy with the status quo. They don't feel listened to, and I think that's where Bernie Sanders and also Donald Trump have um, got supporters because many people just feel that our elected officials, many of our elected officials, just don't 
listen to us and don't care. But Steve, some people would say, well, the reason that he's saying things that other people are thinking that they don't say is that these things are unkind. They're unpalatable. They're unkind to Mexicans. They're unkind to Muslims. They're unkind to women. That he's not a kind person. Um, And that really, okay, Sandy really wants to talk about that. The things that you repeat and not just you, but almost every single person that comes on the air on this station, which is, even if it's infinitesimal, we have taxpayers' money. That got, this is public radio. Mm-hmm. I have never heard a quote from him about the Latin people or the Muslims that was in context. Mm-hmm. Not once have you. Have I ever heard you put it in context? He said Muslims can be a problem. He did not say keep every Muslim out. He said every Muslim needs to be vetted. Yes, every single one. Well, to be fair, time, he's had multiple positions on that, including keep every Muslim out. But mostly out the he has, him. I was going to say, mostly he has put it in context. The day about the Mexicans, someone had just been raped by somebody in California. He gave that as an example. And he said, but there are, of course, they're good, hardworking people. I've never heard the rest of that quotation on the air. I, the, these next few weeks before the election, I want to hear his words in context and not what you think he said or well, what you want to think he said and what you want other people to believe right. because those are lies. I did you promise, are, those okay. are lies. I did promise not to argue with you. I'm okay. not going to argue with you right okay. now. So, um, Steve, uh, but what, what about that? that? Some of the things that he says strike people as very dark, uh, as very hostile. Okay, some of the things he says might strike people as very hostile. Um, Yeah, he wants to build a wall on the Mexican border. Mexico has quite a substantial wall on their southern border. Most countries fortify their borders. Any nation that doesn't fortify their borders is asking for a problem. How about when he said a Mexican judge couldn't judge him fairly? A Mexican judge couldn't judge him fairly I wouldn't think would be the most – it wouldn't be the position that I would take because a Mexican judge could judge him fairly. But there certainly could be the appearance of bias. If you're a black man in a court, you many the black man has said that they weren't judged fairly by a white judge. All right, we're that gonna... doesn't mean that the judge can't judge them fairly, just that that's the appearance that that guy, you know, that's how he felt. All right, we're going to have to wrap here. Thanks to Steve, uh, to John, to Manny, to Sandy. I'm going to go back and look at my 4,000 emails. <laughs> but I, this has been worth doing, you know. Nobody got hurt, right? You know what all Trump supporters have in common? I don't know. They're all complex human beings with various priorities and opinions about how the world should function in an increasingly chaotic 21st century world. And they're glad this show is over.